What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the football business podcast that goes behind the scenes and gives fans, industry experts, athletes, aspiring sports professionals, and more unrivaled insight into football, business, and how the beautiful game is evolving. Here is what I have lined up for you today. What that outside influencing and appraisal and criticism at times does is it, it sharpens your focus in the beginning phases and, and in, in, in the design stage that then means that you've got to truly believe in it. Um, and sometimes, in fact, a lot of times in football, the hardest time is, is in that process of change and driving change that you know is right in the long term, but often means you've got to take a step back to go to go step forward. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. So if you're locked in and listening, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting off. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So in the league, let's just win this to appease the fan. Welcome to the podcast, Liam. How are you doing today? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, thank you for thank you for agreeing to do this. The question I always start off with on the show is, "What is football to you? A business or a sport, and why?" Yeah, really, really good question. And starting with the hard ones there, uh, yeah, un- unequivocally, it's a sport for me. Um, you know, no one ever taps you in the shoulder and uh, and says, "Oh, do you remember that time that you know your income to salary ratio was reduced by sixteen percent and we maintained league position?" You know, it's always around. Do you remember that goal that Harry Anderson scored against Everton after 35 seconds? Or do you remember Elliot Whitehouse scoring the goal that won as the Papa John's trophy at Wembley in front of 30,000 people? So, yeah, it, it has to be a sport. But I guess as per everything in life, it's not binary. It's not not one or the other. So I think um, it is a sport. But having solid business principles and having the knowledge you know, in order to make it, you know, a more effective sport and more competitive football club, it, it has to be run with sound business principles. So, yeah, on, on the spectrum, in my humble opinion, it's definitely closer to sport than, than you know, purely business. But, of course, it has to just be a healthy balance of, of both. But, yeah, growing up and having great memories of going to the football with my dad and other family members, it's, yeah, it's absolutely a sport. But, yeah, just, just sort of kicking it all off, uh, Liam, Obviously, you joined the club in September 2017 as, as, as CEO. Just talk to me about what the vision and the ambition of the club was at that time when you joined and how that sort of evolved and changed over time. Yeah, really interesting. One. So when I, when I joined the club Lincoln City, we'd just been promoted back to the the Football League, so League Two from, from the National League, having spent a number of years in the in the National League and, and quite frankly, you know, struggling to get out of it. So... I definitely can't claim any credit for, you know, the fantastic cup run to play Arsenal in, in the quarterfinals of, of the FA Cup, you know, the first non-league team to do so, you know, post-war and in the same breath, um, you know, the fantastic promotion from, from the National League. But I suppose my job when I first came into the football club is that we had the, a football side and the sporting side of the football club that was on this incredible kind of growth trajectory 
Danny and Nicky Cowley had, you know, reinvigorated the club, had given it some, you know, real opportunity to kind of grow. But that was based on, I suppose, you know, the first team and and, and just that that element of the football club. So it was around looking at the wider business, looking at the academy, um, looking at the club as a whole, really, and, and taking it from being a football team to a to a football club. You know, Lincoln City is is proud, is a, is over 130 years old. Um but it was about making sure that it just wasn't going to be a one or two year spike. It was about building a football club that could go on to have sustained success um, over a longer period of time. So, yeah, the, the immediate brief and the immediate mandate from, from the board was was around bringing that, that resilience to the overall football club and, and putting in principles in play that would do the football club good in, you know, not for the next three years, for the next 30 years. No, that's that's super interesting because even just building on that word success, football context, how, how do you sort of define and measure success at Lincoln City? Because from my perspective, I'd say going up from the National League, going into League Two, then going into League One and building sustainably there. I, I looked at your your accounts that were released in January and commercial revenues up, match day revenues up. So within the confines of your football club, how do you define and measure success? Yeah, and again, I think within any you know sports club and with any you know, in particular football, which is the industry I know most, you know, it, it's never going to be like a singular item. Um, there are ebbs and flows and there are going to have to be different times and different cycles. You know, I've, I've been at the football club for six seasons now. And even within those six seasons, we've had a number of cycles that have, have already been at, at play. And I suppose what we're trying to do and how we measure success is the fact that we're moving the whole football club forward Um you know, year after year. Now, the most obvious one to the fans is going to be league position. And, you know, broadly speaking, you know, um, apart from the, the the COVID year that was curtailed and we had one season, you know, we, we've, 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 we've outperformed our budget and we've moved forward on the field from a league position. But I think it, it has to be more depth than that because, you know, football is a low scoring sport. There's a high level of, of of luck and chance that's involved, you know, inside of the post, outside of the post. Does it cross the line? Does it not? A refereeing decision, an injury, whatever it may be that, that can impact that. So it's having more depth to your, your growth strategies. So in particular, at Lincoln City, we have, you know, a growing academy and development aims. You know, we talk openly to the fans that in order to get, you know, make our way through the football pyramid, we're going to have to trade our way through there and, and equally you know losses at the level that we have year after year aren't, aren't sustainable um, and we have to you know we have to play a trade so part of what we're also trying to do is is develop young players give them the opportunity to to, to play and, and and sell them on that is recruiting both post academy and, and then within our academy so that that's one of the measures since i've been at the football club i think we've grown commercial income by about 215 percent um but then equally, you know, we've we've moved up a division, and you know, salaries, unfortunately, because of our industry, have have, have grown, you know, significantly in, in in advance of that in order for us to compete. So that there has to be, you know, more depth to to it than just league position. But what I think we're all cognizant and aware of is that on-field success is is the springboard that gives you the chance to really grow other parts of the football club and communicating what that looks like, ensuring the fans. Uh, and the wider, you know, uh, wider fan base and, and wider partnership base understand what that looks like. I think is is incredibly important because, yeah, the, there is no silver bullet. It is, you know, growth can't just be a singular line upwards. Um, at, at times, you know, we're all on the roller coaster. Um, so I think it's it's making sure that we develop the football club 
in all components is incredibly important. Of course, respecting everybody wants to see attractive winning football. Yeah, no, for sure. Because I was going to even delve delve a little bit deep into that. Because as you sort of mentioned there, of moving up the pyramid and and sort of league position, obviously the the reality, and even obviously speaking with Tom as well, is is really difficult when you factor in the cost controls in, in regards to how much you can spend in relation to turnover and the teams that drop down from the championship, what they can spend versus what pre-existing teams in the league can spend. Where are you sort of looking for looking for those marginal gains? Because a lot, a lot of the time you see a lot of EFL clubs having to rely on maybe potentially loan players coming from Premier League clubs. Like a couple of seasons ago, you had Brook Norton uh, uh, Cuffey from Arsenal on loan there as well. You mentioned the academy there. Are you looking at things, for example, like... Like data, what, what what specifically are you doing within the the academy framework to really try and try and grow that player trading model? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, what what I would say is everybody, you know, it, it's become quite vogue, and you know, Dave Brailsford and the marginal gains, every, everybody talks about that. But I think the first thing you have to do is you have to have your big rocks in place, um, and and we talk quite a lot internally about brilliant basics and really having mastering the basics. Um, like I said, there, there isn't a silver bullet. There isn't this magic unicorn that that that's going to just completely, you know, make the football club, you know, be able to be fifteen fold better than budget or whatever it may be. So I think first and foremost, you you have to have um, those real focuses on being highly competent, highly credible, and 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 strong in your beliefs in terms of where where you're going to major, where you're going to focus. So before we get into mastery and you know, marginal gains and, and 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 trying to, you know, move everything that way. The first thing you have to do is have solid, solid principles. And for us, that was around what, what is our model and our, and our model is around win and develop. So of course we want to win and winning has to come first, but we we, we want to develop as, as well. And at times there will be compromises that you have to, to make because, you know, developing doesn't actually always exclusively go with, with winning. You know, what, what makes me laugh is when players, you know, leave the football club, not just ours, you know, others. And everybody always talks about the player that just left. You know, so at Lincoln City, we we have Harry Toffolo at the minute that's playing, you know, in the, in who started or, or on his way, you know, with us. Um, you know, that, that's playing for Nottingham Forest and Teo Eden, another left back that's a, that, that's a Blackburn Rovers. And everybody remembers the player that left us and how good they were. But everybody forgets where they where they joined us and where they where they started on that on that journey. Um, so I think, for, you know, first and foremost, when, when you start talking about the, the marginal gains, it's about being really solid in your principles, standing by your beliefs and, and, and executing those very well. The bit that then we can find those marginal gains, um, and one of the areas, you know, our, our best finishes is the COVID, is, uh, is what we call the COVID year, the year that majority of league was spent behind closed doors. And I think we made at Lincoln City, we made a quantum leap in that year because of some of the... Uh, applications of data, how we looked at recruitment. Um, you know, we were shopping in markets that were traditionally probably out of reach to us. You know, the Dutch second division where we signed Lewis Monsmith, for example. Um, so I think there will be moments in time where you can try and do something slightly different to, to the rest of the league or the rest of your competition. But 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 fundamentally, yeah, there's no point working on those those margins if you don't have the big rocks in place. So I think like most of the football clubs that we're competing against. Um, you know, having that real strong development principle, being clear with the type of player that we're trying to recruit, what that journey looks like, not handing out first team starts for free, but at least not blocking their 
development opportunities by having a pretty slimline squad, I think is, is important. And I think as long as we focus on some of those key pillars and those key components, I, I think the rest then comes down to us as practitioners and working in the industry to try and maximise those opportunities. That's where we'll find the marginal gains rather than you know trying to do something completely out of the box um, and, and be different because there's some a lot of very, very clever people that work in our industry. And if there was, a, like I say, if, if there was a magic wand, I'm pretty sure they'd have waved it already. No, for sure. And even just building on that, obviously, in the last sort of few years, we've seen the the growth of the role of the director, football sporting director, and you've obviously got Jez, Jez George, George in there as your as your director of football. Just just sort of delve into his role and how that sort of works alongside what 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 you do, Liam, what the head coach does as well, and uh, and and how you all sort of work together to drive drive the football club forward. Yeah, well, I think I think first and foremost that relationship between chief executive director of football, sporting director and, and head coach is, is a really important one. Um, you know, almost that golden triangle and, and making sure that there's a real alignment, um, you know, you know between between those parties because we all should be working towards the same master overall goal, but there are going to be differences um, and there are going to be natural tensions that, that apply in there because the, each role has a slightly different profile and slightly different master KPI or master ob- ob- objective. I think Jez's role within Lincoln City, because I, you know, I do believe that the, the sporting director's role is different in in every football club, you know, uh, because of the structures that that they have in place. But in ours, in particular, it's about you know leading those overall processes that we've signed up to, that we've co-designed, and that we believe in on a, on a on a day-to-day basis. It's allowing the head coach to focus predominantly on Saturday to Tuesday to Saturday, you know, working within our overall framework. Um, but then being supportive and, and helping, you know, both in the short term and then delivering that medium term strategy and, and, and long term plan. Um, you know, we, we had a real debate about this recently, actually, because we used to say that the head coach's responsibility is, is 80 20 short term to long term and the director of football would be 20 80. When, when actually, once we've reflected on that, you know, the director of football does have to hit short term objectives as well, because as I said, you know, just a moment ago, winning, you know, helps helps the development strategies and everything else that they play. But ultimately, you know, eyes and ears, that trusted somebody that can really talk the language within within the training ground, really understands the nuance, has sympathy for the head with the head coach and, and knows the pressures that they're facing. Um and, and a lot of it is just kind of greasing the wheels, you know, assisting where they where 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 they can or where where Jez can um to to just focus and, and get real kind of um, day-to-day disciplines around what our master plan is and, and, and holding people to account, both himself and and within the club on a day-to-day basis. No, that's that's super useful. And just even looking at the structure and website as well, I saw that obviously you've got Landon Donovan, obviously former, former players, a strategic advisor uh, within the board framework. What, what's his sort of role and, and, and how does he sort of work with you on a, on a sort of day-to-day basis or, or however he works with you? Yeah, I think first and foremost, what I will say is, you know, Landon's probably the most decorated football or soccer player I've ever had the um, pleasure of of working with. And he is the most humble, uh, generous, um, you know, smart, savvy guy, you know, I I could ever wish to meet. And we're incredibly, you know, lucky to have somebody of of Landon's quality that's willing to give up his time and, and, and work with us. 
Um, and that, you know, that started off through a friendship and a collaboration with with one of our, you know, one of our senior investors at the, the football club. But yeah, Landon's role is, is, first of all, it's a sounding board for myself and Jez. Sometimes we can just ask questions, bounce a few ideas off, ask him his views, his opinions, because, you know, he's based... Um, you know, in, in, in the States, he resides there. You know, he, he gives us a different lens. He isn't living it day to day like like we are. So sometimes those fresh eyes, but somebody that's, you know, that, that knows European football, um, that's played it, you know, he's, he's, he's now the vice president of soccer operations at, at San Diego Loyal. So again, he's experiencing it as, as well. I think it's just that objective set of eyes and ears that, that's able to kind of bounce things off, give us his views and opinions. Um, and, and equally somebody that we can proactively go towards. Um, the thing that I will say about Landon is he's a real deep thinker and he asks you know, some real challenging questions at time, but but in a, in a superb way that just make you think. Um, and I think one of the real challenges that you have in this job, in particular, you know, as, as a chief exec, a lot, you, you can spend a lot of time being told the things that you want to hear by people. Um, you know, not, not necessarily maliciously or, or anything like that it's just you know the role and the presence of the role kind of it, it, it's one of the baggages that that comes with it and you try and create an open and collaborative culture but still um you know th there's no doubt that you know when when you put the org chart on unfortunately you, you try and be a servant leader but but the org chart sometimes you know puts you at the top of it so having someone like landon that sensitively and suitably asks questions and challenges is, is just incredibly uh we're incredibly lucky to have and, he, and he's done that on a number of occasions but equally, we, we've proactively picked the phone up to him and asked him for his views, and, and he does that too. So, yeah, it's a really, you know, an invaluable relationship that we have with him, and hopefully it goes from strength to strength as we continue to work with each other. Yeah, because you mentioned that he's involved in a, in a US sports franchise, and obviously one of your investors, he's involved in one as well. Do you get to sort of cross-pollinate and sort of share ideas and see what they're doing over there from from, from their sort of perspective as well, or...? Yeah, so so the Jabera family, um, you know, are, are, are very important. Um, you know, the the you know Harvey and his good friend Graham Rossini sit on our board of directors, and Harvey's a key investor at the football club. Um, but Harvey has you know has other interests as well. He's he's part of the ownership at, at San Diego Padres that play in the MLB, um, and then he's obviously good friends with with Landon and San Diego Loyal. So we were very fortunate last summer that uh, the Jabera family organised an opportunity to meet with senior executives from um, the San Diego Padres. We got to meet through Landon's Connection people at LA Galaxy and then, of course, San Diego Loyal. And it was just an opportunity to, you know, bounce ideas off each other, talk to, to, to people that have, you know, seen it, you know, from a North American point of view. Um, and it was a great opportunity to learn and share ideas. And, you know, thankfully, people from the Padres, San Diego Loyal and LA Galaxy, we, we remain in touch with. Um, and, and we've just developed a bit of a relationship where, again, it's just good people that are, you know, aren't in our, our natural space day to day. So they're non-competitive to us that we can just ask ideas and, and get their opinions. And again, you know, I think diversity of opinion and thought and, and, and you know, we always say that we're looking for our best ideas, not, not my best ideas, for example. I think that's a great way of, of, of working when you can have people and surround yourself with people that are non-competitive that just give you that, that different viewpoint or that check and challenge. And what's the day-to-day -day looking like for you over the summer, Liam? Obviously, the season's ended, the window's not yet open. Do, do you get to have a holiday now? Or, or is it a case of strategising, sitting down with the board and, and just thinking ahead for next season? Yeah, well, a tip to any football fan, if, if they want to see their chief exec have a meltdown in the middle of June in Tesco, tap them on the shoulder and ask them if they're having a nice holiday. 
Um, because yeah, it, it's usually about that point the, the the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, like this time is is busier than ever. Um, you know, it, it it's all about planning, preparing for 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 next season, executing the strategy that would have been signed off a number of weeks and months ago. Um, you know, you 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 get a short period of time when you're not in the in the rigor of playing, you know, game after game after game. So whether that's developments at the stadium and infrastructure projects at the stadium at the at the training ground. Um, as well as, you know, like I say, delivering, you know, effectively what's been signed off by Boredom that we presented to board a number of months ago. But one thing that I will share, Paul, is quite interesting. In, in my six years, six seasons at Lincoln City, this is the first time, um, kind of six, eight weeks before the end of the season, we've actually known what division we're going to be competing in. Um, oh, wow. pretty, you know, pretty, we've had a couple of promotion, you know, run-ins and playoffs, and, you know, we had the COVID year, uh, where the season was curtailed and, and then we've had one you know flirt with with league one we were at relegation so we've really talked about how this year has been a gift to us in the fact that we've got that opportunity not to be running two business plans not to be running two recruitment strategies that we can really have a focus on building that that league one infrastructure for for next year so it feels like a gift the fans might not say that you know mid mid table um you know might, might, you know lack of excitement maybe would they would say that but for us it definitely feels like a gift and pressure is on on us now to use that time really wisely yeah i was going to ask because i don't think a lot of people actually speak about that what's the actual pressure like like trying to like you kind of mentioned there working on those two business plan the financing the costing of what if we drop to league league two what if we stay in league one what if we move up to the championship like what's the actual pressure like when you're in the office trying to trying to really work work through that yeah, I think I think one of the the things that I'll always I'll, I'll have a I'll have a fight with anyone about that you know when they when they tell you it doesn't mean anything to you, um, or that it means more to the fans. I can assure you, you know, we kick every single ball, um, you know, with 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 the fans as 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 they do. And yeah, you know, those times can be particularly difficult. We, you know, the year that I talked about the you know last season to the the season last to this, you know, where we ended up having to trade in January to protect our League One status or do all we can to protect our League One status fundamentally came about because we ended up in the playoffs the year before. We were losing playoff finalists and it was my fault, our fault. You know, we, we that, that lost period of time, we were behind the eight ball and we never really recovered from it. You know, we as we left the playoffs and we were, you know, defeated playoff finalists, we were still chasing our recruitment list and our target list for the championship and for the league above hoping, praying that they may show mercy on us and still want to join Lincoln City in, in League One in order to build another campaign where, you know, we, we could attack the top half. And, and the reality is, one by one, you know, we we were sadly given the thanks, but but no thanks. And and it just left us, you know, really short. And, and you know, I, I'm assuming one of your questions at some point would have been around the lessons that you learned. And that that was a huge one for me. There's there's no doubt that um, you know, on reflections and looking back, we we our our, our eyes were bigger than our belly and we, we probably should have revised our strategy at, at that point, but we didn't. And thankfully it wasn't catastrophic and thankfully we you know we learned from it. But yeah, there were there were more lessons in that, that year and going through that cycle than than I think there's probably been in the five years otherwise. Um, and and yeah, we we just were behind every single team. Um, you know, once once we were slowly let down by our by our targets. So yeah, definitely a lot of reflecting and learning from that period. And even even in in your role that you're currently in now is obviously CEO of Lincoln City. 
Speaking of lessons, what, what are the main lessons that you take from your time uh, for being at Don, uh, Doncaster Rovers? Yeah, I think so. So first and foremost, you know, there are no two football clubs that are the same. So what you can't do is lift what worked at Doncaster Rovers and say, let's just import that to Lincoln City. You know, that that doesn't work. You know, each, each club's they're living, they're breathing, that they have their own identity. So when you come into a football club, of course, you have to bring your expertise, your experiences and your, and your learning from, you know, the time that you've had in the game. And I'm, you know, I'm very thankful despite, you know, only being in my late 30s because I joined straight after school. I've, I've had over, you know, over, over 20 years um, in the industry. Um, but I think you've got to remember that each club is its own organisation, its own, you know, its own body and its own right. And I think you've got to understand that first and foremost. So, of course, there are going to be a number of components and almost like the minimum criteria. Um, but I think you've just got to respect the football club for its for what it is um, and what its history is and what its future wants to be, rather than just lifting a blueprint from elsewhere. And, and that was something I definitely learned in my transition from, from Doncaster to Lincoln City. Both fantastic football clubs with great fan bases, you know, steeped in, in community tradition. But, you know, from the outside looking in, you could arguably say they are similar, but they are so different when, when you get down to the, the nuances of, of that. Um and then I think other other lessons, you know, I, I suppose I've touched upon it, but if you're going to fail, fail, fail fast. Um, but equally, then the, the challenge of that is, is the knee-jerk reaction from when you do fail. Because I think one of the jobs of a chief executive is to ensure that you have vision and innovation and imagination. And the moment that you stop imagining things and the moment that you play it safe is actually when you when you stop moving forward. So I think as chief executive, you have to get that real balance between the two i think your job's to be an architect your job's to have vision your job is to push the envelope at, at times but you've got to make sure that you are delivering a, a, you know in a number of areas to ensure that you know you're not a, a guy or a girl that that every one swing every 10 swings you take you're only hitting one you know you have to have a better hit rate than that and a strike rate than that um but still you have to retain a place for imagination and vision because you know, with, without that all you're doing is is treading water and staying still. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting because I think linked to linked to the first thing that you mentioned there, when you when you went into Lincoln City, did you kind of have that first week, first month, first few weeks where you had that bit of an audit, having sort of one to one meetings, trying to really understand the lay of the land there before you started that process of then going on to to be that architect? And I think the second question linked to that is. How, do you bake in time within your week or your diary to, to really sit down and think or do you just do it a bit sporadically or or, or how do you sort of think about it? Yeah, I think so. So the first question was when I, when I came into Lincoln City, I definitely had, I won't call it an arrogance, but I definitely had this kind of, this is what it needs to look like and, and Liam Scully's blueprint is going to be how we're going to achieve this. Um, and I probably, you know, I did go into audit and it was definitely my intentions were to go in, listen, audit and find a way forward. But I didn't know it then. But if I look back now, I definitely had kind of predetermined ideas. I was, I was, my dial was dialed up listening to the bits of feedback that would almost give me the permission to take it on the trajectory that I, that I thought it would need. Um, and because the football club was running at, at such a pace, it became quite easy to kind of lift and shift existing existing plans um, and existing strategies that were almost in play at Doncaster that had been successful at Doncaster and try and implement them at Lincoln. 
And what I quickly learned is that we would have immediate success with those plans. Or we'd have, you know, we'd we'd go from level one to level two, but but we'd never progress beyond then. You know, we'd we'd never really optimize them. And I was like, why, why, you know, it, it took a lot of kind of soul searching to question, you know, why are we why are we not optimizing them? And yeah, after probably after 12, 18 months, then I only realized that I was, you know, it was my design that was wrong. And the fact that I, I, I was speaking, not listening, you know, my mum would always tell me, you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, and and yeah, I just failed to listen to that advice. So I think it, it was probably when when Dan and Nick Cowley left and went to Huddersfield, when we had the opportunity to hit reset in a number of areas. Selfishly, I think we used that to hit a master reset. And it was almost like having another go at, 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 at putting this plan putting this plan together um to ask answer your second question yeah that that space for reflecting and and, and being innovative I, i've definitely become far better at that um i think only from listening to podcasts like yourself uh, and, and others have i you know when you start to listen to the people that you truly respect as, as as leaders and people that you know you hope one day you aspire to be as 10 percent as good as they were you hear them and you listen to them and, and, and you know, they, they speak so well about absolutely creating that space in your diary to, to do that. And yeah, it, it's that old challenge around it, you know, what, what's important and what's urgent. And, and we spend all our time in that urgent box rather than dealing with what's actually important. And I suppose as a chief executive, well, I'd actually say that when I first came to Lincoln, I wasn't the chief executive, I was a general manager. And maybe over the course of time, as we built the infrastructure, I became more of a chief operating officer and, maybe only in the last 24 months have we truly been a chief executive like a chief executive should. So yeah, definitely in the last two years have we created that space just to step back and really test your thinking. And Clive Nates, our chairman, is, is fantastic at that. He's he's a really good at just asking you to pause, take breath and, and reflect and uh, always sends through some good literature for reading. Um, and that certainly helps as a prompt, you know, as a prompt and a useful reminder. Now that's useful. Before we move on to some wider football business questions, I just wanted to ask, link to that as well. How do you block out the noise? Because being being a chief executive or senior leader within the business, you're currently obviously inundated with with what you need to do on a day to day basis. But then also, as you mentioned, they're having that time to really reflect and sit back and and bake in time to innovate. But then you're also inundated with other people's requests and what they need and how you have to contribute. How do you almost, how do you in reality really block out the noise to be able to do what you need to do effectively? Yeah, I think the first thing you need to do is realise that at at 5pm every Saturday, we are going to be given a live appraisal by nine and a half thousand people. You know, they're going to tell you whether you're good, bad, ugly, you know, what you've done is right, what you've done is, 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 is wrong. And, I think that just has to be a level of resilience and understanding that you are going to be given that appraisal. And if you believe what, you know, if you really believe in what you believe in, then then stand by your principles in, in that. And yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't call it white noise. That would be incredibly disrespectful because you do have to listen to that feedback. You do have to, to check that. But I'm, I'm not one to be kind of trolling social media, looking for the positives or the, or the negatives or, you know, um, but, but I do respect that there are voices and they they have a they have a place um so it's about keeping that healthy healthy balance um and equally having enough conviction in your design and in your architecture and into the plan that you're putting in place to know that you know just because you're your number nine is mr sitter in the last minute and, and we've been beaten that then that negative feedback from that singular day or that moment isn't then going to take you off off stride 
What I would say is, if you don't have true belief and conviction in your plans, if you've not beaten them up in that design stage, then when people challenge you, you 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 then you know you then become less susceptible to kind of change it, or you become more susceptible to changing by sticking sticking you know sticking by your plans. So I think what that outside influence and and appraisal and criticism at times does is it it sharpens your focus in the beginning phases and and in 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 the design stage that then means that you've got to truly believe in it. Um, and sometimes, in fact, a lot of times in football, the hardest time is, is in that process of change and driving change that you know is right in the long term, but often means you've got to take a step back to go to go step forward. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just been really disciplined um, and having that right balance of self-belief but not arrogance to, to stand by and, and stand by your, your convictions and, and and execute a plan that you believe would be designed well, you know, well designed. No, that's super useful. Just moving on to some wider football business sort of topics. The new EFL TV deal. Funny enough, I spoke with with obviously Tom at the time when there were talks about potentially having a hybrid model. Obviously, just some high level overview points is going to be over a thousand games. That are going to be shown live and uplift of about 300 million pounds from the previous deal. Um, there's talks about changing the sort of the distribution split. What do you what do you sort of take away from the EFL new TV deal? Are you, are you in favor of it? Do you like it? What's your opinions on it, Liam? Yeah, so I, I don't mind sharing as, as a club. We were we were asked to, to vote and uh, on it last week and we we supported the new deal. Um, if you were to ask me to to describe it, I would call it progressive not radical uh, i don't think we're ready for for radical so you know it um whilst i've got to be very careful because at the time of this not not all details have been published and i'm aware we've, we've had a lot of the information you know on a confidentiality basis but what i do think it does is it it, it moves the dial forward in terms of how how fans um are consuming their media you know in in the in the current times a lot more um you know streaming or app based as as well as kind of regular uh, kind of broadcast technologies um, and equally it, it gives more content more exposure um, because people are definitely you know watching more content maybe shorter shorter attention spans but watching more um, and it definitely supports that you know it protects article 48 which is the the, the blocked out hours um, at some point I think during the course of this deal in this cycle I think we have to have a conversation about that what that looks like in the future you know I can honestly say I don't know where we where we stand at that moment because we take a data driven approach to to that. So there's got to be real learning. Um, but yeah, overall, you, you can't deny anything that you know from a club point of view that sees a fifty percent increase in revenues. You know, more exposure. Um, you know, is in more times. You know, to to be you know displayed on a national level, uh, and then equally improved content. So in terms of actually how we frame our product, it can 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 only be good news. Um, but of course, within any period of change. You, you, you've always got those those people as well that are going to be concerned as to what that is. So, yeah, progressive, not radical, but I stand by. I don't think we're ready for radical just yet. Yeah, because you, you preempted my next question, which is going to, going to be about Article 48 and the blackout and yep. and, and your sort of take on that and, and your sort of view. I'm, I'm someone who's he's historically been in favour of the removal of the blackout, but um, wanted to sort of know, know your take on the blackout. Yeah, and, and I very much, I, I think without sounding like a politician, I completely respect and understand 
kind of both both sides of the fence. And that's where, you know, I've said for a while now in football, our job as senior executives isn't isn't to make decisions blindly. We we have to then go and find out what data sources we need, what information that we need to go out that then can inform that decision. That ultimately, what you know, what that data provides, make, make makes the decision for you. Um, I do think that we've got to be really careful and we don't get left in the in the stone ages by not progressing and moving forward. But equally, I think once you take Article Forty Eight away it's never coming back and whilst it'd be great to be able to watch you know Lincoln City away you know against I don't know uh you know a Carlisle or a Plymouth if we're in the same same divisions um what we've also got to respect is at the same time Manchester United or Arsenal or you know some of the other clubs that they too will be able to stream um as well so you've just I think we've just got to be very very careful and methodical in our approach to this but what we have to do is let data and insight make that division decision, not Liam Scully or Clyde Nates, um, just because we have a certain gut feeling. I, I don't think that would be appropriate. The other thing I would say is, Paul, is we are temporary custodians of football clubs. Um, big, groundbreaking decisions like this should be made very carefully. We shouldn't do it glibly. We have to respect the responsibility that we're given to be leading football clubs at this moment in time when decisions like that need to be made. You know, Lincoln City are given one vote of 72 member clubs in the EFL, and we firmly believe it's our responsibility to use that vote wisely, not just for Lincoln City, but actually for football overall, um, making sure that, yeah, that there has to be an element of self-interest, what's right for Lincoln City, but predominantly what's right for football overall. No, that's that's super useful. And the next sort of follow-up for the wider football business questions is FA Cup replays. I think over the last few years we've seen them being phased out now to the point whereby they're only around for the third and fourth round of the FA Cup. Obviously, once the the Premier League teams enter enter into the competition, what's your thoughts on? There's been talks and and, and sort of conversations about potentially them them being scrapped. Where do you stand on this? Obviously, knowing that what helped to sort of obviously fund the, the new training ground is obviously that, that FA Cup success that, that you had along the way where you had had replays involved. Yeah, but what won't surprise you to hear that I, yeah. I don't think this is about the item in isolation. I think yeah. it, our, our football industry has been built upon layer upon layer of, of different structures, different competitions, different formats that all have a relationship with each other. So I don't think you can shift one piece without expecting it to have an, an impact on, on, on others. But without being too crude and crass about it, you know, the value of the FA Cup, the revenue that that brings lower league football clubs, and I don't just mean Lincoln City, by the way, I mean right through the football pyramid. Now, I was a, a very, very average non-league football player playing at kind of step four level and, and, and very average at, at, at that. But, you know, uh, the value that it brought um, and the support it gave the non-league clubs, you know, that I had as a player was was absolutely, you know, invaluable. So I think we've got to make sure that we we protect certain elements and enshrine them, um, you know, in terms of that overall model. But we have to be, again, we have to be progressive and we have to look at what the new landscape looks like of football. All you hear from FIFA at the moment, be it the World Cup or the, the World Club Cup, it's just more games, more games, more games. So we do have to create space in the calendar for these marquee games. We completely respect that if that's where the value is being driven. But then we have to make sure there's a distribution model that's fair that doesn't mean the rich are getting richer. You know, one thing that 
you will hear me bleat on about in the in the press at times is just because a division or a constitution of the league is like it is right now doesn't mean that it should be like that forever. You look at Oldham Athletic, who were in the Premier League, who are now in the in the National League, and you know why should they get less of a vote now or a say because they're in the National League compared to when they were were in the Premier League? That for me, you know, we we've just got to we've just got to work out. And of course, it has to be balanced. It's around where the value is driven. But we've just got to make sure that those voices don't diminish just because of their current situation. No, spot on, spot on. Final question I ask all the guests is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, look, I'm going to avoid the redistribution and reform answer because I think that's pretty obvious and and, and you would expect... That's Tom's, that's Tom's favourite answer as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, as chief, the little chief executive club, yeah, we, we would say that, so... I suppose to be to be different from Tom, but not because I don't agree with him. I wholly agree with him. I think, you know, when we talked about media earlier, I think the whole world of perception and the way that we brand people is changing. You know, you look at what people, uh, their perceptions of people are based almost on 30 second clips or, or micro elements um, that, that people see in the media. So, you know, as a quick example, I remember, you know, you, you know, my, you know, Arteta, one minute being branded a, a PE teacher and the next minute he's swinging a light bulb on Amazon Prime, you know, talking about Edison and, he, and he's defined a, a god and a genius. And then I guess after this weekend, uh, you know, you're seeing things like bottle jobs and and and, and like the truth is he's probably none of those things, but people, you know, brand people and and, and make their perceptions based on these, these small clips. And on a local level, I see it at Lincoln City where, you know, People hear something or say something, and I don't know. They'll define a player or somebody as lazy or not passionate or not caring, and and it's so not true. But it's just because we we consume information now in these kind of thirty second bite sized clips, um, and that and that can impact you know somebody's reputation and their brand. So I'm a real believer in in people, and I think human beings, if you trust them and and and, and give them your your backing, that they give you the best and. You know, I'd like to think over the course of time as this develops, we'll we'll start to be a bit more balanced in our appraisals of people. You know, in sport, we nothing was ever built overnight. You look at Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, arguably, you know, the greatest success story in English football and how long that took to build. And in the same breath, that, that's what it takes to build a team or a club. So yeah, maybe maybe a little bit more patience for how we judge and brand people. I think that would be very, very helpful for, for us football clubs and for those leaders that are trying to build something in, in the long term, certainly respecting and appreciating that immediate success enables that. But but yeah, you know, not not branding and judging people on those those microseconds and those clips, I think, would be incredibly helpful and important. Liam Scully, CEO at Lincoln City Football Club. Thank you for your time and coming on the podcast. Honestly, truly, I think it's been one of the best episodes I've recorded. I think so many nuggets for the listeners. Thank you, thank you so much for your time. Bless you. Thank you, Paul. Cheers. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it and if you did, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. See you in a fortnight for the next episode. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's putting off. Powerful people and I think they need to recognise that, but then also... They need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's win in the league. Let's just win this to appease the fans.